Welcome to Hearing the Pulitzers, a piece-by-piece, episode-by-episode exploration of the winners of the Pulitzer Prize in Music, with hosts Andrew Grenade and David Thurmeyer. Welcome to Hearing the Pulitzers, episode 30, where we're traveling back to 1972 and the 27th winner of the Pulitzer Prize in Music, Jacob Druckmann, for his symphonic work, Windows. So, Dave... What are your experiences with Jakob Druckmann? <laughs> <laughs> not much, yeah. not much. I uh, I think I knew I'd heard of heard his name uh, that he taught at Yale, and I think he wrote a brass quintet. I remember I, I had a CD of the American Brass Quintet, and I think there was a Jacob Druckmann piece on it. I don't remember ever listening to it, but I remember that's where I saw the name. So. I didn't know much about him. Um, vaguely, I heard he was maybe a neo-tonalist uh, or like a neo-romantic person, although uh, not in 1972, not I think. 1972. <laughs> no. How about you? What was uh, well, your... you know 100% more than I. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I had seen the name. I had not heard a lick of his music before we get to this Pulitzer winner. So this is, of the ones we've looked at, I think we have to go way back to find another one that I had not heard a lick of their music to. Maybe uh, Gail Kubik or... About there, that's about where we have to go back to, (laughs) the the mid-1950s. So I was a blank slate coming into Jacob Druckmann's music here. Well, that's good, because maybe it'll change the way we think about this piece. Uh, Windows, so another orchestra piece. Yeah, uh, the miniature of last time with a Danikovsky yeah. of six minutes. Now we have an over-20-minute orchestral piece, so a very substantial piece. They're back doing what they do best, which is awarding people from the Northeast who write symphonic <laughs> works. And teach at elite Ivy League universities. Yeah, the Pulitzer's <laughs> back in their wheelhouse now, yeah. so maybe it's time to tell the story. <laughs> Telling the story. All right, so who is Jacob Druckmann? Jacob Druckmann uh, was born in 1928, 1928 to 1996, uh, went to Juilliard. He was from Philadelphia, went to Juilliard, studied with a couple of names that we have seen over and Many over again. To the Bernard Wagner, Vincent Persichetti, and Peter Menon. Then he studied with Copeland at Tanglewood, just like uh, Davidovsky did. Yeah, so we have this connection again, Copeland, who we've seen on the jury many times over the past couple of episodes. And may see again. And may see again. <laughs> so we get to see these connections. I mean, this old boys club, we thought we'd broken free of it in the late 60s. Yeah. Here we are, the early 70s, right back where we were. And Druckmann's interesting because he was known, like Davidovsky, for electronic music at the beginning of his career, although I couldn't find any electronic pieces. I was trying to find some pieces. Did you? I didn't either, no. Yeah. I thought that was interesting because I kept seeing references to that, Yeah, and I didn't find recordings of that electronic music. No. So taught at Juilliard, taught at Brooklyn College, taught uh, all over the place, New York Philharmonic composer in residence, so a lot, all the big all the big venues on the East Coast you would expect. He also, and this is where I have encountered his name before, because um, I didn't know any of his music, was that he was artistic director of the Horizons Music Festival, which is a pretty important music festival. Um, so he served as that and then and moved on to composition at Yale, which was an important school in the 80s and 90s. And then he dies in 1996. So yeah. uh, it's been quite a while since... He was uh, a leading light, as it were, on the compositional scene. That's probably one of the reasons why I've never really encountered his music. He dies in 1996. I'm an undergraduate in 1996. <laughs> so me getting into new music, that's about the time I was just starting to get into new music. So as the time he's leaving the scene is the time I'm getting interested in it, which makes sense why I might not have heard it. 
But to give you an idea of how um, he was received, I've got a quote from uh, the critic Mark Swed, and this is what he said about um, Druckmann's music. And he says, at the heart of the works of Jacob Druckmann lies the bold, sure, and often arrestingly physical dramatic gesture. Yet Druckmann's scores have always exhibited another characteristic as well, that of careful structure built with meticulous attention to detail. The process of integrating those two sides of his character has been a consistent factor throughout the composer's development. Well, that's high praise. So kind of given the side, the uh, emotional, bold, uh, kind of gestural side, as well as good craftsmanship, kind of putting it together. I think would most composers like to have that? They would like to have that. Yeah. But I think we also see that there has been a preponderance in leaning towards the craftsman side with yes. the Pulitzer more than kind of the open emotional play to the crowd kind mm. of side of the Pulitzer. So just reading that, I thought, oh, he sounds like a Pulitzer winner from this time period. I mean, that's yeah. what we've been seeing. They've wanted to award. And in the jury reports, they've talked about great craftsmen. Yep. So here is Jacob Druckmann fitting the bill exactly. It was his turn, it looks like, in 1972. <laughs> it was. And it's also important that it's an orchestral piece because right. that, like you said, we haven't had orchestral works in a while. We've had string quartets, electronics, uh, the we had the crumb piece. We had, you know, it focuses on, on other types of ensembles. Yeah. And I did listen to a few other, like a string quartet of Druckmann, and I thought it was actually more interesting than this piece. So maybe his he won it because it is such a big orchestral work. Well, it's also his first or big orchestral work. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's also the, okay, look, going into different territory, going into the big genre. Yeah. Let's award him for that prize. Yeah, well, what, let's uh, see what this piece is all about as we go behind the notes. Behind the notes. All right, so the title is Windows, which is about the most generic, <laughs> generic. title that we've come across. I mean, you might as well call it Sonata. It's not, not that. But this is the background. This is what Druckmann said he was getting at with this title. The windows of the title are windows inward. They are points of light which appear as the thick orchestral textures part, allowing us to hear, fleetingly, moments out of time, memories, not of any music that ever existed before, but memories of memories, shadows of ghosts. The imagery is as though having looked at an unpeopled wall of windows, one looks away and senses the afterimage of a face. What that's a lot that's, packed uh, into that sentence. <laughs> there it is. What do you think about these kind of program notes? It seems like you have a couple types. You have this type, which is trying to be overly descriptive. You have the one that ha makes no sense that says, the soccer field is green. <laughs> or you have the overly technical one where I'm using an 026 tricord, the blah, blah, blah. Does this tell you? Well, let me see. So the you, first half tells me Yeah, something. that's what I was going to say. You could yeah. drop the second half of that, that statement. So... The points of light, which appear as thick orchestral textures part, allowing us to hear fleetily moments out of time, memories not of any music that existed before. That I like that. That and makes that's clear. Sense. And that gave me something to listen to as I was following along in the score, in, in the piece. I didn't look at the score, but just listening to it. The second part, an unpeopled wall of windows, <laughs> one looks away and senses the after image of a face, means nothing to me. Even Ghosts. after listening to this piece a couple of times, I still no. have no idea what he was trying to get at there. No, not at all. I think it does. I, I didn't know the, the program notes before I listened to it, but I think after doing a little bit of uh, research on the piece, it does have 
some of the uh, same emphasis on timbre and sound and texture that we've had recently. It's not a melodically driven piece. Uh, in fact, it's it is there's a lot of aleatoric stuff, mm-hmm. which kind of made sense the more once I learned that. I said, oh, that's why you've got these flashes in and out of you know, like lights blinking and flashing yeah, which makes perfect sense yeah so people are improvising or uh, doing different textures so it's it's kind of a hybrid of things is this of its time thinking in 1972 with what else was going on in i was thinking that it seems to me that it's actually a little bit of ahead of time yeah it seems to almost be what what it brought to mind was a step on the way to things like what schnitka was doing with polystylism where he's drawing from all these different styles and yep. putting them all together as a mishmash. It's like he's getting there, but he doesn't want to fully commit to that sound. <laughs> so there are little snatches of the polystylism or some people say postmodernism, which, you know, that's late seventies, early eighties. And here he is early seventies doing this. So I think it's kind of ahead of its time in that way, but he's not committing fully to the idea. So these windows, they happen, but I expected to hear more of that. There's, in the recording I listened to, there was much more of the aleatoric, yes. dissonant, cloud, floating type of music than the clear, oh, look, here's a march. Here's a little bit of Debussy. Here's a little bit. I mean, that appeared, but there was much more of that kind of dense portions. I thought we might listen to one of the early windows, uh, and you'll hear the woodwinds have this little melody, but it's really sandwiched in this very dissonant, aleatoric kind of cloud. So it's there. It's there. And occasionally yeah. you get this kind of break for literally like two seconds. Yeah. And then you're back to the kind of dissonant, angular clusters, clusters that's going on. Well, you brought up something interesting too. You brought up Debussy. And that's, uh, in fact, when we, we'll talk a little bit later about where this was premiered and what was on the concert. But there was, it was premiered right before uh, Debussy's Jeu, which is a, a ballet and a late piece. And Kind of a like extremely abstract. I mean, Debussy is already Debussy. ambiguous, as we know. But I, I was trying to listen to that excerpt you just played, thinking of the Debussy influence, and I don't know. It's well, it's abstract. I yeah, think. to me, the influence of the Debussy is that the Debussy is all these blocks of sound. It, yes, it's, it's blocks. not like we th- we think about Debussy as you know these kind of sinuous, <laughs> flowing yeah. lines. You don't get that in Jeu. You get these big kind of blocks that are really distinct and really kind of juxtaposed against each other. And Druckmann does a very similar thing. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a very sectional piece where you get to the end, there's like this big crescendo and then break, and then there's yeah. silence for a couple of seconds, and then you get a new section. So you can hear all that. And within those sections, these clear kind of blocks of timbre. So in that way, I can tell in terms <laughs> of the sound, right? The the construction. I mean, WC's form is very clear always. Yeah. Um, once you start looking into it and the timbres are, are just floating and woodwind heavy. You don't get that here. So it doesn't sound like Debussy. But in terms of the thinking about blocks of sound and mm-hmm. juxtaposing blocks of sound, that's where I can see the connection. That I, I can buy that. That makes a lot of sense. And then you're, you're probably much more familiar with Ludoslavsky's music than I am. That's also another name that's in here for the aleatoric processes. Right. So is that, or, uh, do you find that to be an accurate? I do. Yeah. But 
I mean, that was kind of a sound in the late 60s, early 70s, yeah. that kind of aleatoric. Um, sound mass. Sound, kind sound of. mass, the, the sonorous coming out of Poland. I mean, that mm-hmm. kind of whole trend. And I can see it kind of fitting in there. Uh, what's unique about him is these little snatches of sections. I want to play one more time, uh, one more little bit, because there's a lot of interesting percussion in here. And to me, that was the most interesting oh, yeah. part of the entire piece. Yeah was the preponderance of percussion and the interesting percussion. There's bow, like, uh, bowed saw. Yeah, They're yeah. really interesting things. And I wanted to play you this one little part because as I was listening to it, all I could think in the back of my head was, is this guy listening to Harry Parch? <laughs> So you've got all these microtonal little gestures. Yeah. You've got the kind of percussion groove going on in the back. I mean, it's very much like a little snippet of parch kind of stuck in there. Well, funny you say that, Peak Andrew, because the, uh, according to these notes that we have here, it says, numerous windows throughout the work allow glimpses of a variety of music, including waltzes, folk tunes, marches, ensembles modeled after those of parch, WCN-influenced music, jazz, polytonal dance music a la Mio, lush romantic harmonies, and trumpet, horn, and bird calls. Yeah, it's a little smattering of everything kind yeah. of uh, filtered throughout the piece. Um, and you really never know what you're going to get next. There's not like a logical rhyme or reason no. for them coming. Um, they're very much, uh, again, well-crafted, <laughs> but the kind of emotional line, I think, of those is not... Fully coherent, no. Say. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. It's it's a, a, very, a kind of a challenging listening experience because you don't know what's coming, and some people love that. They like mm-hmm. the unpredictability of it, but in this case, it's it is like trying to throw everything together. And yeah, it's very much a moment by moment, a moment, a moment form piece. Yeah, uh, and I guess that to, well to. Druckmann's credit, that's what he's, I guess he's trying to do with these windows, closing and closing, opening, looking through, being closed up. Uh, yeah, so. and I don't think you would understand it if you didn't read the first little part of that program note. I really think it gives you a way to listen to it that you wouldn't have if you were just dropped into a symphony orchestra concert and you're like, here's Jacob Druckmann's windows. You had <laughs> no idea what was going on. You would be wondering why there are these little snatches of tonal things. Why? I mean, there's a really kind of cheeky march. Yeah, yeah, about halfway yeah, yeah through. I like that one. Uh, towards the end, there's very much like prelude to the afternoon of a fawn, mm-hmm. just kind of stuck in there. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't know what was going on if you hadn't read that program note. Right. Yeah, that's true. It does does actually help. Uh, well, we'll have to see how this uh, went over here with everybody and when it goes over with us. So, let's see. Hit. Or miss. All right. Well, we always have to start with what the jury had to say <laughs> yes. about Jacob Druckmann's windows. So let's start with who was on the jury. Oh, boy. This is really getting bad here. Uh, we thought Chalmers Clifton was bad. I missed the days well, of I Chalmers missed, Clifton. He actually, at least he wasn't a composer and a, you know, in, you know, involved. He didn't teach any of these people. So this committee, Aaron Copeland is the chair. Vincent Persichetti, there's two, and then Irving Lowens. 
Oh, interesting. Who was an author. Or a musicologist. musicologist. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So to John Hohenberg, our good friend. Of course. Yes. Uh, the music jury unanimously recommends that this year's Pulitzer Prize in music be given to Jacob Druckmann for his orchestral piece, Windows. The work was given its premiere by the Chicago Symphony, conducted by Bruno Moderna on March 16th. This is a freshly conceived work of a daring nature, uniquely combining the various materials and techniques of our time. Hmm. So it premiered on, a, as we just said, a Chicago Symphony Orchestra concert. The first half was Mozart's Serenata Notturna K239. <laughs> okay. Uh, the second, then it was followed by the Schoenberg Violin Concerto. Okay. Then Intermission, Druckmann Windows, and Debussy Jeu. So Interesting concert. Very, very. So what do you think of the comments there? I, I, to my mind, they, they're very vague. They are I mean, very vague. They're not yeah. specific about what's going on. No. And there would not have been a recording at this time, so they only would have been looking at the score unless they happened to go to the premiere. But it was several years before there was a recording of this piece. Um, so it may just be looking at the score and trying to <laughs> ascertain, but I don't think looking at the score because of the aleatoric nature that you would get, I mean, it's time brackets right. uh, that you really have for most of the score. So I don't know how much you would be able to get out of just looking at the score in this case. Or to note, but although they're, they're correct that it does combine various materials and techniques of our time. That's true. Yeah. But this kind of proportional uh, notation um, doesn't give you a sense of, in actuality, what the, the sonic effect is. No, no, uh, not at all. In the same way as kind of traditional notation. And it is well orchestrated. There's certainly a lot of really are beautiful kind of parts. cool colors and, yeah, things like that. So the second choice of the jury goes to Roger Sessions for When Lilacs Last in the Dooryard Bloomed, a cantata for chorus and orchestra. This is a major work by a major American composer, they say. But what's most interesting is they recommended a citation be given that year for a very famous or maybe infamous piece. So what big theatrical type piece was premiered in 1971 that was premiered at the Kennedy Center in Washington? Bernstein's Mass? You got it. Oh my gosh. You got it. So they say, the music jury strongly recommends that a citation be given this year to Leonard Bernstein's theater piece called Mass. While we realize that this is an unusual procedure, we do think this action is justified due to the unique character and the high distinction of the piece, which shows clear mastery of all the performing arts. In our opinion, mass breaks new paths in its utilization of the performing arts combined, and for this reason seems to fall outside the purview of either the music or drama jury alone. Nevertheless, its extraordinary character merits special consideration by the advisory board. That's fascinating that they would go so far as to yeah. not give it a prize, but recommend a citation for it. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that ever happened as far we as I know. Heard? That hasn't happened before at this point. No. So in the you know, almost 30 years of the yeah. Pulitzer at this point, we haven't heard of this happening. No. So pretty fascinating. That is fascinating, it especially kinda, for that work. Yes. And I can see why they would be so flummoxed by that work. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I am I'm, too. Everybody is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And how much do you think of it was Aaron Copeland being on the, being the chair of the jury? The connection there. The connection. The yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But still, uh, I, I think I, I commend the board for 
recognizing, recognizing something needed to be said about that work. Yeah, and that Bernstein was that close to maybe winning some official, because yeah. he's you know very famous composer and everything, and didn't win a Pulitzer. So now we know he was actually he was close. Close, yeah, exactly. They received sixty-one applications for 1972's prize. So that's uh, about in line what we've seen the last yeah, few years. Where we've seen it be. Well, this is fascinating. To give you an idea of what the contemporary critics were saying, Andrew Frank, who was at the University of California, Davis, wrote a review of the work, again, just off the score for the publication notes. And he said, each new work by Druckmann, who is not a prolific composer, is distinguished by his meticulous care concerning all aspects of the composition. And in Windows, the first orchestral work by this composer to gain international recognition, he has once again composed a work of such originality and eloquence that one could simply say that this is a masterpiece and it is beautiful. This is fascinating. They're gleaning all this from looking at an aleatoric, partially aleatoric score and just kind of seeing and maybe looking at the notes or... Yeah. Yeah. When Jacob Druckmann talked about this also, which I love this quote. This is from an interview he gave with Bruce Duffy towards the end of his life. And uh, Bruce asked him, you know, your reaction to being an accomplished composer. And this is what he said. Oh, that business of being an accomplished composer. As far as the outside world goes, that happened one night. I remember literally one week getting a review in the New York Times. They talked about the young avant-garde composer. Then I got the Pulitzer Prize. And the next week it came out, establishment composer Jacob Druckmann. So that's the outside world. <laughs> <laughs> so he suddenly goes from being the the rebel avant-garde guy to oh, he's just one of the establishment. Well, yeah. and that also shows how at the time in the early seventies the general musical world was thinking about the Pulitzer. It's a stamp of approval from the establishment. It goes to those people who are part of the establishment. Yes, it's. Jacob Druckmann's turn, right? <laughs> it's kind of the way we go. And we've heard that reaction from a lot of our winners yeah. who've said the same thing, that it it was kind of their legit their stamp of approval and kind of brought them their moment, and then that was it. And, it, you know, your pedigree and all of it, and then you got your plum teaching job at Michigan or, or East Coast or wherever, Yale. And then you're never heard from again. Then you're never heard which from is, again. Which is fascinating that yeah. so many of these Pulitzer winners, they have their splash, and then they kind of fade away in terms yep. of their influence and people looking at them. Yeah. I think that certainly happened to Druckmann. So yeah. I think we now have to ask the question. Right, I'm ask you first. Okay. Hit or miss, Dave. I think this is a big miss. A big miss. A big <laughs> not, not just a miss, a not, big one. It's a big miss. I. Why do pieces have to be over 20 minutes long in one movement? It's just too hard to take, unless it's Mahler. I like those uh, people complaining, that movie was too long. Yeah. <laughs> How am I supposed to sit for two hours, two I, and a half hours? Yeah, but uh, it's just too much to take, and it's too... Uh, like I said before, there's some really nice moments. There's this one kind of unison on a perfect fifth or a triad mm. or something I really like. A couple of nice spots, but a lot of it just sounds like noodling, and it just goes on and on and on to me. So, uh, so I'm, as I said, I listened to this string quartet that I thought was much better, more interesting. It's kind of sort of sounded like Ligeti or sort of Bartok, a little bit more like that rustic yeah. kind of sound. So maybe maybe his. Field was really writing for chamber music, but uh, anyway, so it's a big a big miss big for miss. me. Okay. How about you? So I'm a cautious hit for this one. <gasps> really? Surprise! Wow! I thought uh, the second time I was listening to it, um, 
the originality of those little snatches of those windows opening really kind of got to me. I agree that it's too long. <laughs> After I complained about you saying it's yeah. too long. I agree it's too long. Um, I think it would serve better if it were shorter. But I didn't mind the noodling, but especially when those windows opened, there was just like these moments of uh, just beauty, actually, that kind of opened up. And I really appreciated them. I wouldn't say I would seek this work out, which is why I'm giving it a cautious hit. Yeah. Um, but... Overall, I tend to tend to like it. Yeah. Oh, well, that's cool. I, all right, that's great. Do you think would you uh, if if an orchestra were performing this, if the Chicago Symphony decided to reenact this concert, would you uh, go check I out? W- I would probably go for Debussy's Je because yes. I've never heard that live. Oh yeah, more than I would go for the Druckmann. But I'd be happy the Druckmann was there. And especially because now you know what it's all about, and it has parch in it supposedly, and, and all this stuff. So. Well, we're split on today's vote. You know, the last couple ones we've been in pretty good agreement. It's been agreement. a while since we've had a split vote. Yeah, so, oh well. We'll see what happens next time. But that's it for this episode of Hearing the Pulitzers. As always, you can find out more about this project at our website, hearingthepulitzers.com, where you find links and a short bibliography where you can read more about Jacob Druckmann. Also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at HPulitzers for links between episodes. And most excitingly here, we have another two-time winner. Join us next episode when an old favorite returns. <laughs> Elliot Carter, for his, he won for his second string quartet way back in 1960. And we're going to talk about his third string quartet in the next episode. Until then, keep listening. Keep listening.